Dear Lord, may your word be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path through Jesus Christ. Amen. Now from John chapter 11. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and who wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Then he said to his disciples, Let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you are going back there? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas, called Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know, even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out. They followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. 
But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Julie. I told Julie before the service started, I think the uh, scripture reading might be longer than the sermon this morning. You wish. Uh, man, it, it is, it's good to be back. I realized we, um, end of uh, June, we got COVID and so we missed a week and then we were here one week and then a couple weeks of vacation and the Clemmers. So over the past five Sundays, I've preached once. I am, I am rested. Uh, I am ready to go. It's like, um, you know, in the NBA now, you know, rest your star players right before the playoffs so that they can really peak in the playoffs. So this is playoff season. I am rested. I am ready to go. Uh, we're going to spend August finishing, Lord willing, uh, our series that we've been calling One Another. Uh, we're looking at the place, the different places in Scripture that instruct us on how to relate to one another, to, to other brothers and sisters in Christ, other Christians. And we're doing this kind of concurrently. We're doing two things at once. Uh, we're doing that in an effort to look at the different uh, clauses, or the different statements, really the commitments we make to one another uh, as members of this church by looking through our church covenant, which is kind of a summary. It's a really well-written summary of the ways we commit to interact with one another. And this morning, we get to this, this phrase, and we're not going to have time to unpack every part, but we'll really zero in on one part. We say that we will commit to participate in each other's joys and endeavor with tenderness and sympathy to bear one another's burdens. We participate in each other's joys, and we bear each other's burdens. And we're really going to focus on the second uh, half of that. We're not going to talk so much about participating in each other's joys. There's just not time. And we're really, I really want to zoom in on what does it look like to bear one another's burdens. We're taking as our text a little bit of an unusual one, which is the famous story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. Spoiler alert, if you keep reading in John 11, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. This is a very famous story. It's a very famous text. Uh, I'll tell you at the outset that that we're kind of using this text for the first part of the sermon, and then we're looking at implications of it for the second. So not everything comes directly from this text, but we want to start here. We want to start here because this is a very well-known story, and it has some very well-worn questions, namely... Why would Jesus, when he hears his friend Lazarus is sick, why would he wait? Why would he not go? And by the way, Lazarus is in Bethany. Jesus is in Jerusalem. It's, it's about an hour's walk from one to the other. It's not that far. Why would Jesus wait a couple more days before going? There are a lot of good questions and kind of some heady theology. The trouble is... We often get so distracted by our theologizing and trying to make sense of everything, trying to understand everything, that we miss the real power of the story. The real power of the story, at least for the sake of where we're going this morning, is this. Jesus wept. Let that sink in. Jesus 
wept. So often we over-spiritualize Jesus. That's a dangerous thing to say, so let me explain what I mean by that. Christian, Christian orthodoxy, historic Christian orthodoxy teaches us that Jesus was, and we don't understand this, this is mystery, but somehow Jesus is fully God and fully human. And he's both. And, and it's really easy for us to remember the fully God part. So much so that we tend to forget the fully human part. And so the question that often comes up in many of our minds is, okay, well, if Jesus knows what he's about to do, he knows he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead, maybe that's even why he waited a couple days, was to make the miracle even more dramatic and bring more glory to himself. That's what he hints at in verse 4, by the way, if you go back and look at verse 4. Why would he, why would he be troubled? He knows what's coming. Jesus Christ... Son of God, the King of the universe, yes, and yet fully human, wept in public in front of other people. Maybe a lot of other people. John doesn't tell us how many people were there. This is right at the end, verse 35. But we know that Jesus was with Mary and presumably Martha was there and a number of other people with them. Maybe a handful, maybe dozens. And it doesn't just say, notice, it doesn't say that Jesus shed a couple of kind of dignified tears while he maintained that stoic persona, you know, and just one or two tears leaked out of the corner of his eyes. Jesus, (laughs) I learned this phrase a couple years ago, Jesus ugly cried. You know the phrase ugly cried? Like cried so hard that like this was not a pretty dignified stoic Jesus in front of his followers, in front of Mary and Martha, in front of who knows how many other Jews, Jesus wept. Which, by the way, if you're one of Jesus' followers, like, how do you respond to that? You know how, like, we, if, if you see somebody crying in public, it's, even if you don't know the person, and what do, I, what do I do? Am I supposed to go? Do I just pretend like we're New Englanders, most of us, so we just pretend we didn't see it and walk on? And like, what, we're not sure how to respond to that, but, but here's Jesus, the king of the universe, and you're, what do I do? And yet in his weeping, Jesus fully participated in Mary and Martha's sorrows and by extension in our burdens. This commitment we make as a church family is that we will endeavor with tenderness and sympathy to bear one another's burdens. This morning, we're looking at Jesus who has borne our burdens. And we're not just talking about bearing the burden of our sin. We will talk, we'll actually talk more about that next week. But the burden of grief, very specifically. We find that there's incredible power in just being with someone. Or if we're the one grieving, and if you've grieved something like a deep and profound loss, you know there's incredible power in somebody just being with you. You don't need someone to fix it. Because usually deep grief is a situation that can't be fixed anyway. You don't need the situation to be fixed You don't need advice. 
You really don't need much of anything except for somebody to be with you. And just their presence alone somehow helps to shoulder some of that burden. We need someone to say, I'm so sorry. In some ways, what does it mean to bear one another's burdens? Yes, there are practical examples and we can make meals for one another and call and check in. And, but so much of it just starts with those three words. I'm so sorry. And you know this. If you've been in a period of grief, you don't need someone to say, I'm so sorry, but... Because you know that the minute they use the word but, that just canceled out everything that came before it. You don't need someone to say, even if it's been a while, even if it's been years, you don't need someone to say, you know, I really think it's time to start moving on. You know that if you're grieving something deep, you don't need someone to say, well, you know, at least dot, dot, dot. You don't even need or want someone to say, you know, God has a plan for this. You ever had, like, somebody ever said that to you? <laughs> now, here's, here's the thing. Of, let's just, that phrase, God has a plan. That's theologically true, okay? We believe that God is everywhere and all-powerful, and he, he is working. I heard it said once that in any situation in life, God is probably doing about 10,000 different things, and you and I are aware of maybe three of them. So does God have a plan? Objectively, yes. Is it helpful in grief to hear somebody tell you God has a plan for this? Objectively, no. <laughs> We don't need to theologize our grief away. We don't need to explain our pain away. We just need someone to be with us. And notice, that's exactly what Jesus does here. Now, it's, it's worth noting, both Martha and Mary, two sisters whom Jesus loved, and there's the other famous story about, you know, Martha busily getting ready and Mary sitting at Jesus' feet, and, and the moral of the story is, be a Mary, not a Martha, and there's really more to it than that. But notice, in this case, both, um, uh, both Martha and Mary level the exact same accusation at Jesus. They both say the exact same phrase, Lord, if only you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. In a sense, they're both trying to theologize their own grief away. And notice what Jesus, he responds differently to both, to each of them. But he never explains himself. He never says, this is why. To Martha, what does he do? He says, your brother will rise again. And they have a little conversation where, and eventually he gives us a famous line, we say it, I say it at every funeral I officiate, I am the resurrection and the life, Jesus said. Whoever believes in me will never die. And whoever, how does he know, whoever lives and believes in me will never die. But what is Jesus doing? He's not explaining Lazarus' death. He's pointing to the life that comes after death for those who are in him. So maybe the one thing that's helpful is to point for Christian brothers and sisters at least 
is to point to the resurrection, to point to Christ himself. Not to explain it away, but say, in Christ, death is not the final word. But even with Martha, Jesus himself doesn't try to make things better right now. Isn't that something? He's just there. He's just present. A little bit later in the story, he goes and he meets Mary. Same accusation. Lord, if you had only been here, my brother wouldn't be dead. Jesus completely ignores the accusation. He says, where's your brother? Show me where he's buried. And they take him, verse 35, and Jesus wept. To, to simply be with one another, present, crying. I'm not, don't, don't manufacture tears, like if you're not, don't, don't manipulate that, but don't fake it. But to just be with one another and feeling one another's burden, bearing one another's burden is powerful. Is powerful. I just, uh, I don't remember if it was this week or last week, but one of you, one of our church members shared this story. Here's what she said. She said, I was walking out to my car. I was leaving wherever I was at. It was about 8.30 p.m. So I'm walking through the parking lot, mostly empty, and I noticed one car, and I guess the window was open. There was a young man, probably in his 20s, like sobbing in an empty parking lot. <laughs> and this is what the person told me. I'll read it. She said, part of, part of me told me to just keep walking to my car, but I couldn't just leave him there like that. So I went over and asked him if he was okay. And he told me that his girlfriend had just left. And so I sat there with him and just talked and listened for about 20 minutes. And after 20 minutes, he had mostly settled down and he said, thanks for listening, that really helped. I think I'm going to go get some ice cream. <laughs> that's a great, that's what else. Okay, so sit and be present and ice cream. Uh, that's not in the scripture, but. <laughs> and he drove off and that was that. Now, this person will probably never see that young man again. But, it, but in that moment, you were Christ to him. Simply being with and bearing his burden and listening. What is it that we say? We will endeavor with tenderness and sympathy to bear one another's burdens. That's powerful. That's really powerful. Now here's the one little twist, and we'll spend a little bit of time thinking about this. Is that in order to be the kind of place, the kind of church family... Not the kind of place, I should say, the kind of people who bear one another's burdens. We also have to become the kind of people who are willing to let others bear our burdens. This is a dagger to the heart of good New Englanders, where our favorite phrase is, I'm all set. And there's so much value that we place in being able to get things done ourselves. It's, it's kind of... it's. It's kind of like, um, imagine you have a, just a, a really messy closet in your house. Really messy closet. What do you do? Whenever somebody comes over, you shut the door. And you hope they don't open it. And they won't because they're good house guests. You shut the door and you hide the mess. How often do we, even we come here Sunday mornings. 
our church family, and we shut the closet door and we hide the mess. And we only show the part of the the room in our soul where we've really cleaned. I mean, we even dusted the baseboards and it looks good. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. I'm fine. I'm great. Bearing one another's burdens, being the place where we allow others to bear our burdens... It's kind of like, and, and this, is, this is a little cringy, this is cringy even for me, being the kind of family, the kind of people, where we, we don't just air out our burdens for the sake of airing them out, but we invite one another over to say, hey, can you help me clean this closet out? I've, I've got this closet. It's a mess. It's dusty. I've been just throwing stuff in there and not even worrying about. It's just, it's a pile and a heap of all the junk that I don't want to deal with. There's a lot of vulnerability and risk that takes, right? Because there are wounds there. And what you're doing is you're exposing some of those wounds and you're risking asking somebody to help with those. And you're risking the chance that they might hurt those wounds. Which is why, by the way, we don't, I'm, not, I'm not suggesting that we just do this with everybody and you air out all your dirty laundry to everybody. But, but are we the kind of family where you have one Maybe just one, maybe two, maybe three, I don't know. Dear, trusted confidants who you know you can show that messy, dirty, nasty closet to and they won't judge you. They won't run from you, but in fact, they will draw closer to you. Somebody that you can say to, you know, my, my, my relationship with my kid is really strained right now. And it's tough because they're an adult and I'm used to being the parent, but now they're an adult and so we're kind of more peers and I don't love how they're parenting my grandkids and and I'm just really, like, how do I interact with them and love them but try to still steer them and be a good parent? Can you just, can you help me with this? Or... The kind of place where we can say, you know, I'm still just struggling with grief over losing this person in my life. And it's been five years. It's been 10 years. And I feel like I should be over it by now. And I feel like I should just be able to move on. And I, I can't. Like there are some mornings where, where it's just a miracle to even be able to get out of bed. And you invite somebody in to bear your burdens. I've got this coworker who drives me nuts. Like I just cannot stand this person. And I, I need someone to listen and to support me. And I, I need someone to pray with me. And I need someone to steer me towards forgiveness and reconciliation with this person. To strive to be a peacemaker instead of just inserting these little passive-aggressive barbs. And I need someone to help keep me accountable to keep me from straying into gossip and resentment. Can you help me? See why you can't just do this with everybody? (laughs) But are we the kind of family, the kind of people where, where we have those relationships? Is there one person with whom you're willing to take that step? I'll tell you very, very personally, I've, I've got one conversation coming up this week that I think, it's funny how the Lord works and, and so often like whatever I'm preaching on is directly applicable to me. So there's an old, there's an old phrase among preachers that if you preach from your own weakness, you'll never run out of material. Like I'm, I'm realizing that there's a conversation I think I need to have this week 
that's inviting somebody into some of my mess. And I'm nervous about it. I don't want them to see my mess. Pastor Chris. The pastor. And yet there's, there's, there's somebody, and I know we're going we're gonna to meet anyway, and I know this person is just full of grace and understanding and, and wisdom. And so I think I've, I'm feeling the spirit moving and say, like, Chris, are you willing to let your guard down and to let somebody bear your burden? In other words, is the church where we go when we need healing? Kind of a, kind of a, maybe a slightly dramatic example. How many of us have skipped church because we just didn't want somebody to see us hurting? And yet, when we're hurting, when we're anxious, when we're broken down, when we're beat up, this is the place we most need to be. Not the place we need, least need to be. This is, this is the kind of place where if you don't have everything together, you'll fit right in. If this church, to look at the reverse side of that coin, if this church is not a safe place to bring our brokenness, then this is an unorthodox church. In a sense, that reveals how there are ways that we don't believe the gospel of Jesus. That's a strong statement, I know. Let me explain it. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ, is that Jesus did not say, clean up your mess, and then you can come talk to me. Jesus said, I will enter your mess with you. The good news of Jesus Christ is that he says, I will take you just as you are. Brokenness, sin, grief, anxiety, paralysis, depression, like whatever it is that you're dealing with, Jesus says, I want you just like that. The good news of the gospel is that God is a loving, loving father. Those of you who are parents will really get this. And even if you're not a parent, I hope you get this from from observation or from having received this from a loving parent. Parents, when your kid hurts themselves, do you tell them, suck it up and come to me when you're better? No, of course not. I hope not, (laughs) right? When your kid is hurting, when your kid is hurting, you are drawn to them more than when they're not hurting. When your kid is is hurting, you want to come and wrap them up in a big hug and say, Daddy's here. Mommy's here. It's okay. I love you. God is a good, good, good father. Our brokenness doesn't push him away. It draws him in. You see? So the less we are willing to deal with and admit our brokenness, the less we will receive the true love of Christ. When we bear with one another, when we carry one another's burdens, we get to be Christ to one another, you see? A living, breathing Christ. Just by being with one another. One author, Dane Ortland, puts it this way. He says, what was Jesus' deepest anguish? It was the anguish of others. And what drew Jesus' heart out to the point of tears? The tears of others. 
You see, Jesus isn't repulsed by our brokenness. He's drawn in by our brokenness. In the middle of 2020, uh, my wife and I uh, experienced a pair of miscarriages. And in the first, which really, really devastated me, I was actually surprised by how much it it shook me. I called another number of folks, some close friends, because I knew that I just needed to share this with someone. And two of my closest friends, and they don't actually know each other, uh, one lives in Massachusetts and one lives in Connecticut, but two of my closest friends both pointed me to this text in John 11. And they said, Chris, one, they said, I'm so sorry. And they had both experienced miscarriages as well, and so... I knew that was helpful, but they said, I'm so sorry. And they both pointed me to John 11 and said, remember, Jesus wept over death too. Jesus understands your brokenness. Jesus understands your, he knows your grief. He has grieved your grief. And your brother will rise again. Jesus is so drawn in by our brokenness that he gave his life to break the very brokenness that we suffer on the cross. And we're about to to remember the cross very distinctly through the Lord's Supper. Jesus himself allowed himself to become broken so that he might break the brokenness that enslaves us so that we might be free. And in his resurrection, because remember, the story doesn't end at Jesus hanging on a cross. The story ends with Jesus ascending into heaven and being seated at the right hand of God Almighty. He broke the power of sin and death. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? In the death of his friend Lazarus, Jesus felt our pain and our grief. He became fully, he was fully human. May we be fully human with one another as we bear one another's burdens with all tenderness and sympathy. Will you join me in prayer? Lord, you know our brokenness better than we ourselves know it. And you're not repulsed by it, but you're drawn into it. You were so drawn into it that you you put skin on, as one of our friends likes to say. You didn't have to. You didn't have to become our sin. You didn't have to understand our brokenness, but you chose to out of just sheer love. Lord, I ask that we would feel your love and that in bearing one another's burdens that we would express your love to one another so that in those moments where we just, we just don't have it in us, we have someone who is willing to be Christ for us to point us to you. We ask this in your precious name. Amen.